Can I preach at you a little bit this morning? Is that okay? Yeah, things got a little out of hand last night. I don't know what's going to happen this morning, but uh, uh, apparently I like where we're heading, uh, and, and it's in my heart to talk to you about these things. We're going to talk about keeping it real. Anybody ever said that to someone uh, when they ask you, how's it going? Just keeping it real, man. Just keeping it real. Anybody ever said that? I don't know what you meant if you were just kind of like being dismissive and just, you know, trying to keep the flow going and get to whatever's next. But when I say I'm trying to keep it real, there's a, a, an element of that where I'm just trying to live an honest life. I'm just trying to do what I know to do and to do it well. And, uh, and we're going to find out that the, the book of 1 Timothy, which is where we're going to study, if you have your Bibles, you can open them or you can scroll on your phones or whatever you do, uh, to, to the book of 1 Timothy. And it's where we're going to go next. And we're going to realize it's, it's Paul telling Timothy, hey, Timothy, keep it real. Keep it real. Another way of saying that is, is build your life, Paul says to Timothy, build your life on truth. That's why we call the series Blocks and we put Legos on the stage. No, you can't play with them. Um, but I, I, I did bring up some of the Legos that uh, reside at my house for when our, our seven-year-old comes over to hang out uh, at our house. Uh, there's a suitcase that actually lives in our, our living room that has, a, it's just full of Legos, right? And, and I, I, don't, I don't remember really going to a lot of houses where my friends uh, you know, lived when I was a kid that didn't have a suitcase or a big bin or a big whatever of Legos. Uh, who grew up that way? Anybody play with Legos? Maybe we're too old, maybe our kids did or something like that. Maybe you're the dad who stepped on Legos in the middle of the night you know, as you were uh, walking through your living room and swore that you were going to throw them out the next morning. Uh, but, uh, but Legos, man, they were a part of, they're part of American history now. We've got, we got whole theme parks dedicated to them in our state. And they're awesome because uh, before there were screens, everybody under the age of like 25, here's the deal. And you played with Legos, I shouldn't be so demeaning. Anyway, uh, but, but, you know, before there were screens and, and as we move further and further away from you know, the, the stuff of our past. Legos were the land of creativity. When you, when you got the box of Legos out, you could do it, anything you wanted with all these little pieces. You could just grab them all. Oh, there goes a couple. And, and you could just piece them together however you wanted. Um, uh, you could make faces, right? Uh, you could make, and th- listen, they've gotten all advanced and expensive, you know, by, by putting these special packages together where you can make the actual Death Star, you know, two scale with the Legos that come in this box. But when I was a kid, we just made it up. We'd make like a big white ball and say, Death Star. You know, we'd, we'd make something that vaguely resembled, you know, a, a car or a house, and we'd, we'd run to our parents and be like, look what we made. And they'd be like, what is it? And, and uh, we'd tell them, and, but that was our creativity. And, and I think it's, it's so akin to this life that we've been given. You know, think about it. You were born, you grew up in your house, and certainly some things were shaped and funneled in certain ways. I'm not going to step on that Lego. Um, but, but ultimately, you're piecing your life together, block by block, choice by choice. You're creating a life. What kind of life are you creating? What's going into it? Did you know that there is a template, uh, a, a, an instruction guide, a, a way that your life was meant to go? We talk about it every week. And Paul writes Timothy, here in 1 Timothy, about this, this template, this life that he's meant to live. We, we find out that 1 Timothy is really all about building a life on truth. It says in chapter 3 of this book uh, that Tim, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy uh, for the sake of truth. He says, I hope to come to you soon, uh, Paul says. He'd love to come and visit Timothy, who is, by the way, living in a place called Ephesus. Everybody say Ephesus. It's around AD 65. He's, he's been the intern of Paul. He was probably 
uh, a young boy, a, a teenager when he met Paul, and Paul says, you know what, I like you. You've got moxie, Timothy. I don't know if he said that, but uh, uh, I'd love to hang out with you. And so Timothy just kind of left his family and started traveling all over the Mediterranean with Paul, planting all these churches that you read about in your New Testaments. And he was with them for a lot of it, and then finally Paul gets to this place called Ephesus in Acts chapter 19 and 20, hangs out there for about three years, plants this incredible church, sees amazing things happen, read the story yourselves. But then he says, Tim, i got to keep going. You're staying. And he takes this young guy and he says, you're in charge. And he leaves him there. And he's not just the pastor of the main church in Ephesus. He's the pastor of all the churches that kind of surround the region of Ephesus. And he's just like, here you go. Make it happen. Well, we know from Timothy's stories uh, in these letters that Paul wrote to him, he wrote two of them, uh, that, that Timothy had a hard go of it. He had difficulties. And so Paul would write him and, and he would try to encourage him. And he, he even wanted to come and visit him. That's what it says here in chapter 3. I'd love to come and visit you soon, see how you're doing. Uh, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, uh, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. One of his chief priorities in writing Tim is like, hey, I know you're a pastor, and I, you're teaching a lot of people how they should live in this life with God. You're teaching them the truth about how they should live. So I, I, want, you, I want you to teach them how to behave. And he says, let me t- explain this, uh, this household of God. It's, it's the church of the living God. Church there is ecclesia. Ecclesia means this, this call, called out group from all of the whole. It's this group who is called to serve God. And that's what any church is. We're just a group of people who have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, have heard about God, and we've, we've been called into a life together with each other and with him. And then he, he does this incredible thing. He gets all buildy. He gets all Lego here in the last part of this, this verse. He says, the church is a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Buttress isn't something that we throw around. Anybody, you know, buttress talk? Anybody talk about buttresses? Uh, but, but think foundation. If you have the NIV, New International Version, uh, the word there is actually foundation. And so he basically says uh, the church is the pillar, and back then that's what you started with. If you wanted to build the Parthenon, you started with these big, fat old pillars, and you put the roof up on those. But those pillars were set on a, a buttress, a foundation, and, and this is what I want you to know the church is about. It's a, it's, the church is a construction site. It's where the truth is being built into the people so that they know how to behave so that God is glorified and the world knows that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He says, that's why I'm writing to you, Tim. And as as we read this book, we're going to have a great time doing this for the next nine weeks or so. We're going to read how he goes from uh, one thing to another, explaining the truth. Here's how you live. Here's, Here's how you uh, you know, uh, organize the church and leadership. Here's, here's how relationships should function. He's just going to, I mean, it's masterful stuff. It's exciting stuff. I hope you dig it and uh, enjoy it. Come back each week so we can talk about what Paul says to Timothy. But isn't that true? Uh, we all fashion our lives around some truth. There's all kinds of truths out there, just so you know, all kinds of worldviews that you can adopt, all, all sorts of things uh, that you can give your life to, but everybody's building their life on whatever their th- idea of truth is. You know, truth, is, it starts with opinions. I, I, I have my opinions, you have yours, like uh, all, all in favor of chocolate ice cream. Okay, strawberry. Yeah, I'm a strawberry guy, and here's how we would work it at our house. Uh, we would get Neapolitan, which is vanilla, st- chocolate, and strawberry ice cream, and we'd get a, you know, a big old tub of that, and my son Cooper, chocolate ice cream all the way. 
And he would come in and he would meticulously carve the chocolate out of the gallon of, of ice cream to leave, you know, and not touch the other stuff. But you would come to this thing and, and, and that third of the ice cream would be gone in two or three days because Cooper ate it all. Well, that was fine with me because remember who I am? Strawberry guy, man. And I would just ladle out that strawberry stuff and waylay that. And then we, we left the, the nasty vanilla for the other three people who lived in our house. They could, <laughs> who cares about them? But that's just how, and, and, and you have those, you're going to go to lunch today and you're going to order what you order and they're, the person in the other is going to order what they order or you're going to have what you, whatever. And it's, and it's all going to be centered on your opinions because your opinions are unique to you. But those unique opinions, uh, they, they, they form your allegiances. The things that matter to you beyond just your ideas about what should be and what shouldn't be. Uh, like yesterday, uh, you, this isn't going to resonate with most of you, but the Boston Red Sox won the American League East uh, pennant. Yeah. And now the four of us, everybody who went whoop whoop, okay, it matters to us because somewhere along the line, we decided that, you know, our team was going to be the Red Sox. I moved to Boston area when I was about nine years old. It's when I was coming online with sports and, and all those things. And so they've been my team forever, and I've, that's well documented. If you've been here for the last 13 years, I've talked about it a couple times. Uh, but that comes from my opinion being that they're the team to root for, and you don't have to root for them. You can be wrong. It's totally fine. But they're who I root for, and it's just, that's you, uh, opinions form allegiances, and allegiances and opinions create values, not just in sports, those are more trivial things, but, but listen, I, I grew up in the church, I grew up hearing about Jesus, I've had varied reactions to the things that I've heard, as a younger man, I, I took a break, I thought I knew way better, and all this stuff couldn't be true, and there was all these reasons to abandon this truth. Uh, but as, a, as, a, as I grow older, I become more certain of the things that I believe because I value this faith that we've been given in Jesus Christ. Now, some of you are not there yet. It's, it's a truth amongst many truths, uh, this, this whole Jesus thing. But I'm here to tell you, the scriptures as a whole and Paul's letter to Timothy in, in specific are, are all about us finding and centering our lives on Christ, the one truth, the truth, capital T. All the other truths are truth, little t. But Jesus is the truth, capital T. See, what we, what we believe shapes how we behave. Uh, that's what Paul asserted there when he was talking about, I want you to behave right, but to behave right, you gotta, you gotta believe right. Our truth, another way of saying that is that our truth determines our outcomes. Our truth uh, basically shapes how we live. And what we hold is true, what we believe in, that's gonna be the determiner of our lives. And so therefore, we need to make sure we build on the right truth. And that's what First Timothy is all about. So, can we read First Timothy together? Here we go. Starts like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. So Paul, this is how you write letters back in those days. You would start by signing it. So we put our signatures down there at the end, yours truly, sincerely, hugs and kisses, whatever your sign-off is, uh, and then your name. But we, the, the way they started letters back then is they'd start with the, the guy who was writing. So Paul, and then he, he, he makes some assertions about himself, he calls himself an apostle. Everybody in the Christian world back then knew that the apostles were the original uh, 11, and then they added a 12th when Jude stepped down. Uh, but uh, but it, it was the guys who hung out with Jesus, the 12th. Uh, Paul was, I guess, the, third, you know, the 13th apostle. He, he had been called by Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he had been given the authority of an apostle 
to start churches, to teach with uh, you know, the authority that God gives an apostle. And uh, so he says, I'm an apostle. And, and he says this, uh, that he's an apostle under the command of God. Wasn't my say-so. It's not a job I applied for. I was minding my own business walking to Damascus. And Jesus changed everything. So I'm here under the authority of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope. He didn't say that for Tim, by the way. Tim, uh, when you think of these letters, these letters, it was understood in the churches that these letters were not just going to be read by the recipients. Tim wasn't going to be the only reader of this thing. Tim was going to get some personal stuff from Paul, but mostly Paul was writing Tim so that Tim would read this to Ephesus and all the other churches in Ephesus, and then eventually it would be copied and sent to all the other churches that Paul had planted, uh, and actually that's how it got into our Bibles. It became canon and became uh, you know, scripture for us because that was Paul's original intent. And so Paul wanted to say to anybody else who would kind of question his authority, which there were many in the days that Paul lived, he wanted to say, hey man, just so you know, uh, I'm here appointed by God, commanded by God uh, to be your apostle. He calls God uh, his savior and he calls Christ our hope. Uh, what, what a great little kind of uh, synopsis or summation of, of, of the gospel. In our present life, God is our savior. If you put, listen, this morning, if you don't know Jesus and you put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, that's exactly what he does. He saves you. He's your savior. And, and he's, he, he alters your presence by, present by saving you. But he doesn't just do the present. He does the future. He says, uh, he says that God is our savior and Christ is our hope. And he points to the future. And that's the grand already not yet of the gospel. We are saved and, and cleansed by the, by the grace and the, and, the, and the mercy of our God, but we are sealed for a future with him. Good stuff. See, Paul doesn't mess around. He just kind of hits you, bang, bang, like right from the beginning. You could have just said, it's me, Paul, but he just starts throwing the theology in there, right? He's writing it to Tim. That's the next verse. To Timothy, my true child in the faith. Paul is a father figure, spiritually speaking, to Timothy. Uh, he had come to Christ, we're going to find out in the next letter, uh, through his, 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 uh, his mother and his grandmother, but, but he is essentially discipled by Paul. As a young man, he's taken by the Apostle Paul himself. How cool would that have been, to have Paul be your discipler? I think I'm in. I'm, I'm down for that, okay? But as, as they hang out, Paul pours himself into Timothy, and everything that Paul knows about Jesus, he shares with Tim, and, and so Tim becomes his son in the faith, his child in the faith. And then Paul says these three things. Everybody, grace, mercy, and what's the third one? Peace. Now, Paul, usually when he writes his letter, uh, letters to people or to churches, how's he start? Anybody remember? What were the first? There's two of those three. Grace and you got, a, you got a 50-50, mercy or peace. Peace is the way. It usually starts with grace and peace. But here he adds a third, and I think it's all in relationship to the fact that Timothy needed all three of these things. He needed grace. You know why Timothy needs grace? Because in chapter 4 of, of 1 Timothy, we find out that Timothy's probably feeling a little overwhelmed, all right? Uh, Paul says to him, hey, don't, don't let him look down on you because you're young, but be an example for everybody that you're leading. He says, listen, I, I know you're kind of over your head in this whole pastoral thing, but, but keep going. And so Paul says, you know what, I confer grace on you, Timothy. You know what grace is? Grace is God's power through you. God's ability through you. When you lack the ability to do what you need to do, count on God to do it for you by his grace. That's what grace is. You can't, God can. 
Timothy was sickly. You get to chapter five of this book, and we're going to find out that Timothy's got a little tummy ache. I don't know what it was. might have been even more serious than that. Uh, but Timothy, uh, he, he ailed, and, and Paul actually tells him, hey, man, instead of drinking so much water, have yourself some wine. The apostle Paul told Tim to take a slug. That's what he said. And in some churches, that has become a proof text for all kinds of uh, unnecessary drinking. That, that's not what he's teaching here. He's, medicinally speaking, he's saying, hey, take some wine. Uh, certainly wine's fine. I like a good beer with my fajitas. But uh, uh, he's, he's, he's not, it's not a teaching on wine. But he, he is bringing out the fact that Timothy doesn't feel great. Anybody in here right now not feeling great? Uh, yeah, we'll pray for you. There's, there's all kinds of physical maladies that hit us. Timothy had his, and so he was infirmed. And so Paul says, hey, man, mercy on you. You know what mercy is, right? Mercy is uh, us doing for someone who can't do for themselves. That's when you extend mercy. When someone is in a trial or, or uh, unable to, to provide for themselves, mercy comes in and provides in that stead. The last thing that Paul says to him is what? Peace. Peace. I think this is the most important all, especially for pastors, which Timothy is one. You gotta have peace because listen, if God gives you grace and gives you his strength, but you have no peace, you're just gonna go and not be able to use it correctly, right? If God gives you his mercy and, and props you up in a time of your need, but you have no peace, that propping up isn't gonna be as, as powerful or as, as, uh, as helpful to you as if, if, you, if you receive it in peace. You know what, almost all of us need initially in any situation, in any circumstances, to calm down, slow down, so that God in his grace and God in his mercy and God in his wisdom can speak to us and work through us and provide for us in those circumstances we find ourselves in. Don't run through life with your going. Paul says to Timothy, may God give you grace, mercy, and peace. And then he starts in, and we're going to talk today about this whole truth thing. How do we build our lives on truth? It's going to be the whole series. Uh, but we're going to find out a couple things this morning. The first thing we're going to find out is that we need to stay and defend the truth. Stay and defend the truth. I know none of us has ever wanted to leave the truth. Uh, maybe you have. Maybe you're here after a long time being away from the truth. Uh, truth becomes difficult at times in our high schools and colleges. It's, it's uh, not something that's super popular to be Christian in there anymore, unless you're at a Christian school, and maybe not even there. I don't even know. Um, uh, but certainly in, in workplaces, in our culture in general, can we all agree that the Christian ethic, the Christian worldview, uh, is, is a little bit uh, under attack? It's always kind of been weird for people, but it seems to be progressively worsening. Uh, and, and so there's a huge temptation when the going gets tough uh, for people to leave. Paul says to Timothy, no, you stay. And then he doesn't stop there. He says, Paul, he says listen, Tim, you're the pastor of this place. You're going to have to speak up against all of these truths, little t, that are coming into this assembly of the truth, capital T, and to point those things out so that people won't follow it. You've got to ring the bell, Tim. You gotta let people know what the truth is, but shouldn't you, get, you gotta let people know what the truth isn't, and you gotta point out those who are saying these falsehoods and deal with them. So let's read where I get to all that. 
It says uh, here, in, right off the shoot, Paul says some pleasantries, confers grace, mercy, and peace, and then he just launches. He says, as I urged you, this is urgent, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, this might have been in the journeys that Paul and Timothy had before uh, Timothy became a pastor in Ephesus. Uh, it could have been, you know, in another one of Paul's journeys that Timothy wasn't a part of when he wrote another letter that we don't have. Scholars aren't 100% sure. But there was a previous conversation where Paul said to Tim, hey man, remember we talked about this? We talked about this already. I want you to remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. He goes on, he says, I don't want uh, them to devote themselves to myths or endless genealogies, we'll talk about that in a second, which promotes speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Can you go back to verse three for me? Go back to verse three for me. There we go. He says, I urge you, when I was going to Macedonia, remain. If you're underlining stuff in your Bible, circle, underline, make arrows, rip out the page and eat that one, all right? This is 99% of the Christian faith, sticking it out. It's called perseverance. It's called remaining. I think Paul had to say this to Timothy. It's not in, in the you know, subtext or anything like that, but I think Paul had to say this to Timothy because Timothy was having thoughts. Timothy was kind of wondering, this might not be my calling. Maybe I'm supposed to go do something else. I'm no Paul. Paul seems ready and willing to say anything to anybody, even if they're going to throw rocks at him. I'm Tim. You know, you know what, uh, in, in the second letter, Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, hey, man, remember, we haven't been given a spirit of fear, but we've been given a spirit of love and of power and of self-discipline. Timothy had to be reminded, we're not chickens. You know why he had to be reminded of that? Because just like you and me, sometimes he got chicken. He got afraid. And so Paul says, listen, man, stay, remain, be steadfast. I told you this was coming. He had a conversation with Timothy. He says, I, I told you that it was going to get hard where you're at. He had actually explained probably to Timothy and the rest of the elders in Acts chapter 20, if we can go to that now, that this very thing would happen. Look what it says uh, here in the story of Paul's developing of the uh, church in Ephesus. He He's actually been there for three years. He's done some incredible things. He got everybody in the town pretty much to melt down all of their idols. There was a huge commotion. They had a, a riot. And If you were here this summer, we talked about it in the, in the series that we did on Acts. But in Acts 19 and 20, you hear the, read the whole story of the formation of the church in Ephesus. And then Paul decides, uh, by the bidding of the Holy Spirit, it's time to leave. He's going to head to Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he's actually going to be arrested, and he's going to head to Rome, and there's going to be the, the end part of, of Paul's life. Come this summer. We're going to talk through all that in the book of Acts. Uh, but Paul's about to leave the, 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 the friends that he had, the, the leaders that he had in Ephesus. He gathers them all together and he says, therefore I testify, testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. That's kind of magnanimous speech, but he's saying, listen man, I don't have any regrets. If, if, if there's anything for me uh, to, to fear as far as me leaving something behind here in my work for Jesus Christ, I, I have no fears. He says, I did not shrink. I was not afraid. I stayed and stuck it out. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Does everybody get that? The whole counsel of God? He gave the truth big T. He went to the Old Testament scriptures and taught them that. He went to uh, all the teachings of the apostles that had been coming out in the uh, first 30 or so years of the early church. He taught them everything that they needed to know to be able to follow God and preach the gospel as a church. 
He says, I got, man, I got no regrets. I did everything I could. And then he says, after saying that, he says, so pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves, they're gonna come in among you and they're not gonna spare the flock. Uh, and from among you and uh, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. He says, listen, man, I know what's going to happen. In the culture that you live in, in Ephesus, as soon as I'm gone, as soon as the, the, you know, the apex leader uh, is out of town, other people are going to smell blood in the water, and they're going to come in, and they're going to try to pull people away from this flock. It's, it's just hunting 101. If you're a wolf pack, what do you try to do? If you've got a big herd of sheep, do you attack all of them at once? No. What do you do? You try to pick off what? The weak ones, separate them from the, and then you can have your way. You can devour, you can feast. And that's what's going to happen in the church. In fact, run a check for a second. Anybody used to go to church with you that isn't here anymore? Anybody thinking of them? My list is way too long. Of the people who started out running this race with us, and who somewhere along the line, for whatever reason, decided that, you know, not just church, but maybe God, faith, all of these things, they were just a phase. That was just a period of my life. I, I grew up going to church because my parents made me, and now I'm out. Now, can, can I just remind you of what Jesus teaches about those people? Uh, he, he told this parable about a, a shepherd who had 99 in the fold, 99 sheep were there, and he, and he noticed that one was missing. Anybody remember what he did? He took, he just said, good, 99%, that is awesome. Like, if that was, you know, a free throw percentage, we'd, you know, I'd be the best ever. And so he just laid down amongst the 99 and stayed there. Isn't that what, it, isn't that what Jesus did? In this, or the, no, no, what's he do? He goes looking for the one. I don't know when the last time was that you Facebooked a friend that used to be in church and said, hey, man, you want to go? I don't know when the last time was that you went to that family member or that neighbor who you know, used to be a part of us or some church anywhere. And listen, it's not about this church. I pray that all the churches who love God and teach the truth in the Brandon area are full. I don't care if they go to this one. Go wherever you want. But go. Be a part of the truth big T. Because it is human nature for 2,000 years for the truth to be told and then for these fierce wolves, these little truths truth little tease to come in and pull people away. Paul told Timothy on the way to Macedonia that this was going to happen. Paul told the Ephesian elders, hey, it's going to happen. And what he says, he says, there's going to be even those, go back to the next verse or last verse, go back. Yeah, there's going to be those from among your own selves. He's talking to the elders and you know what he says? He prophesies. He says, there's going to be some of you bozos that are going to lead the charge. You're going to be the, the, the leader of the pack of wolves that start teaching mess. To those who have fallen, I'm so, man, I'm so grateful that the church doesn't have that anymore, that there's no pastors out there that are preaching mess that could ever lead people away from the truth, Big T. Are you picking up the sarcasm? I'm trying to lay it on pretty thick. If you've got cable, you've seen mess. There's all kinds of people preaching a gospel that isn't the gospel for their own benefit. And, and let, me, let me say this, because some of you are like, well, I like him. <laughs> I'm not saying that uh, our differences are, are wrong, okay? 
Like, like you, you had the choice to go to whatever church you wanted this morning, you ended up here. I'm, I, don't, I hope it's okay so far, but you're, you're here, right? And, but you could, listen, there's lots of great churches. I love so many of the pastors and know them well in our community. There's lots of great places you go, but you had your opinions and your allegiances and you ended up here, right? And, and listen, certainly there's gonna be disagreements or, 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 or ways that we, we differ in the body of Christ. And in the minor things, that's totally fine. That is totally fine, but we better get the major things right. And if we start emphasizing something that's minor over the things that are major, if we start pushing prosperity gospels or this or that or whatever you want uh, above the gospel of Jesus Christ, then everybody duck. Because things are going to get a little weird in the, in the body of Christ. And, and, and unfortunately, there's always that temptation. Here's, here's my, here, listen, my, my heart for, for you as, our, as, as our, our church and for you as, as your pastor is that I will teach you the truth, not my truth, not some other guy's truth, but the truth from the scriptures. That's why we go through this thing verse by verse, line by line. We may disagree on some of the minor issues of, of the faith, but listen, when it comes to the truth, I want you to know the truth. I want us to live by the truth, and I want that truth to set us free to live this life in the way that God would have us live it. Paul finishes and he says to these guys, he says, you know, uh, be alert, therefore, uh, elders, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone in the faith uh, with tears. He was passionate for those three years. And so he says to Timothy, if we can go back to that text in Timothy, he says, hey, man, deal with those who are teaching different doctrines. If I can put verse three and four of 1 Timothy back up there. Deal with those. Deal with those who devote themselves, uh, verse four, devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Okay, so, so here's, here's what these uh, false teachers were doing. They were taking the genealogies. You ever read the Old Testament and you'd be going great through like a story like Noah or whatever and then all of a sudden it's three chapters in Genesis on just so-and-so uh, gave birth to so-and-so and he lived 100 years and who skips those parts? Just be honest. Anybody skip those parts? Okay, that's, that's honest. That's all in there for the record keeping of the nation of Israel. Uh, and here's what would happen uh, back in actually the century just before Christ came on uh, the scene is there was a book written, a, call, a book called the Book of Jubilee. Jubilee is a 50-year period or every 50 years in the Israeli or in the Jewish faith you would, you would have an ab absolution of debts and it's called the year Jubilee. Everybody's debts would be forgiven. And, uh, and so they took that teaching and they took these genealogies and they created a side story to scripture. They took all of the names that only really get any you know, publicity or whatever in those genealogies and they made up their stories. They made up what happened with you know, Hosh and Shosh or whatever, I'm just making up names, but, but, but the, all these names that don't have any stories linked to them, people started making up myths, stories, based on these genealogies. And they started peach, teaching it on par with the scripture. It, it'd be like someone in the 1800s, uh, you know, uh, uh, getting a revelation from God in the United States and creating a whole other faith from it. Okay? It's kind of like that. Um, these myths and genealogies, these teachings were coming in and people were having to decide, do I believe in just the truth or do I believe in what these guys are saying about these myths and genealogies? And it created this, well, what's it say? It's created these speculations and this verb in the Greek can also be uh, translated divisions. It created divisions in the church. And so Paul says to Timothy, hey man, you gotta stay in there and you gotta defend the truth against these 
uh, false truths that would come in here and, 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 and lead us away from God. Can I give you the ones that are, are big in, in the days that we live in? Here, here's some of the big ones in the church today. I'm gonna start with legalism. I'm a poor slide guy, I'm so sorry. Uh, but legalism, uh, especially uh, you know, 50 years ago, was a huge one. I grew up in a legalistic culture. Uh, I call it Angry Baptist. Uh, it's not a real denomination. <clears throat> but it was, it, in the church, not all of them, but in the churches that I attended, behavior was placed in, 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 in value over belief. Uh, action over grace. It was all about your haircuts and your, your clothing and, and your acts, your choices. And so every sermon was about do this, don't do that, and I'll see you next week and we'll see if you're still stay, saved or whatever. It was just, it was, uh, it, it was just, it was hard. Now, now um, that still exists, uh, not so much in, in our culture uh, because we work hard not to allow legalism to rule us here, but it's still a problem in the church uh, general. Uh, the one that we wrestle with in our culture is gracism. It's not a real thing. I just made it up. I needed a word. Uh, but gracism is, is what a, a more relaxed culture, uh, who is maybe coming out of that legalistic uh, history, uh, is what we have to guard against. Because we're a reaction to all the rules. You know, let's just relax, wear your shorts and flops, and come on in here, and, and we'll sing about grace and all those great things, and he'll preach about it. And then we'll walk out of here, and we'll have this... This, this sense or this thinking that maybe there aren't any rules at all. Because grace will cover it. And I'll just go do whatever I want, and then, you know, uh, once a week I'll come in here and I'll, I'll, you know, do the tap dance for God, and, and, and it'll absolve whatever's gone wrong in my life, even if it's wrong at all. This is what's really dangerous about gracism is because as our world continues to progress away from the morals of the Christian faith and away from the things that are uh, set up in here, uh, gracism says, well, yeah, sure, Let's do it. It confuses. Listen, because don't let's, hear me say this. We love everybody regardless of whether they agree with our morals, whether they agree with our, our faith and our religion. We love everybody. Don't hear me say that we don't love our neighbors. We love them regardless of what they believe. But we don't go along with what they believe as a sign of our love for them. Does everybody get that? There's a huge difference. Between you having correct doctrine and loving your neighbor and you just throwing your doctrine out the window and calling it love for your neighbor. Can't do that. If you want to do that, this isn't the church for you, and I'm not trying to be mean, but that's just the case. We're going to hang on to the truth as long as it's the truth, and it is the truth. And we're going to love everybody despite their disagreement with us on the truth, well, that's just how it's going to be. You know, there's lots, lots of uh, uh, talk given to tolerance, you know. Now, we live in an age of post-modernity. Everybody say post-modernity. It basically started out the first 15, 1600 years of Western civilization were all theological. They were all, uh, everything was, was rooted in the church for the most part, and everything came from the church. And so in Western civilization, the church ruled. But then around 17, late 1700s, this whole age of enlightenment came into play. Anybody heard of that? Remember studying that in Western civilization? Anybody? Okay, good. Some of you went to school. That's great. Um, so this whole enlightenment thing brought science to the fore, and we said, okay, well, that's modernity. Anything that can be understood has to be understood through our senses, through our scientific methods. Everything has to be measured, and if it's not measurable, it's not true. I mean, that, that's kind of a 
short summation, but that's what the modern mind thinks. It's got to be provable for it to be true. Well, uh, that lasted for a couple hundred years, did all kinds of craziness in the church. Uh, but, uh, but then, uh, finally, people started saying, you know, there's other truths beyond what we can measure. Stuff like love, haven't been able to put that on a graph, right? Beauty, how do you measure beauty? Is there a, is there a formula for beauty? Is there like an X squared plus, not, you know, I mean, what's beauty? So there's all these things that even outside of religion and God and all that stuff are immeasurable, but they're still true. And so post-modernity says, you know what, we're kind of, uh, we're past the modern, we're past the scientifically measurable and here's what we're going to do. We're just going to say that truth, essentially, is whatever you decide truth is. And so we live in this age of all these multiple truths, all of these competing ideals. And, and, the, and the buzzword around all of them is tolerance. I'm going to tolerate your truth, you tolerate mine. But tolerance isn't really tolerance because tolerance is pretty intolerant. <laughs> tolerance basically says... Um, you have what you believe and I'll have what I believe. And even if they completely contradict, even if the things that I believe go completely against the things that you believe, we're still just going to pretend that they don't and, love, you know, and just keep going anyway. And don't say that what I'm believing is not true. Even if your beliefs require you to say that what I'm believing is not true. Because that would be an intolerant. John Stott, the great theologian, put it this way. Everybody get ready to kind of rub your temples. He said he's smart. He says... Tolerance tolerates everything except the intolerance of those who insist that certain ideas are true and others false, while certain practices are good and others evil. Does everybody get that? Want me to read it again? Tolerance tolerates everything except, which right there, it's not tolerance anymore. Does everybody get that? If you throw an except into tolerance, it's not tolerant. Tolerance tolerates everything except the intolerance. So I'll tolerate you as long as you don't say that the things that I believe are false or untrue or the ways that I live are sinful and wrong, then I'm not going to tolerate you, but I still want you to tolerate me. Does that sound like our world? You're living in it. You might not know. Oh, really? Yeah, this is where we live. So gracism can be a problem, and this, this is one of the things that I pray, listen, I want to I lean into grace. I'm not, we're, we're, we've been talking about it all over the place here at our church. We talked about how the rules, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how the rules have been given to us so that we can learn to love better and show grace more. And, and so so I'm, I want both, but I want to lean into grace and into love and into mercy. But I don't want us to lean so far that we forget that there's standards that we're meant to live by, and that's what this whole series is gonna be about. What are the standards? What's truth, big T? The last one is what we're talking about here uh, in, uh, in, the, in the passage that we're studying, 1 Timothy. It's called folk theology. Everybody say folk theology. Folk theology is basically theology that you and I make up. Kind of like folk music, folk art. It's just, here's what happens. We hear some things at church, and those get in there, but then we take some stuff that we heard at the roller rink when we were in like eighth grade, right? And then some song that we really liked when we were growing up in high school. And then some belief that we developed, you know, hanging out with a bunch of these other friends. And we take all of those things, we mix it together in a bowl, and we come up with theology. And we say that this mishmash of stuff is from God. Can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've had to correct people who have quoted me the scripture that wasn't scripture. I'm like, I think that was Confucius. I think what you just said was Confucius. Someone came to me once and told me cleanliness, it's in the book, cleanliness is next to godliness. I'm like, no, it's not. Put your finger on it. It's not in there. 
I mean, you know, if you're retentive and you need a clean house, that's great, but don't make it scripture. God helps those who help themselves. It's not in there. Sounds good. God's in the sentence. But it's not truth. And this happens all the time. Why? Because we want to fill in the gaps. If we don't know something, we'll make it up. How many people have done that? You don't know the answer to something. Somebody asks you something, and you say something completely out of your whoop, and it's, <laughs> and it's not true. It's not true, but it's what you said, right? I had one of my friends tell me that REM stands for something that it doesn't stand for, the, 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 the band. What's up, Mike? Hope you're paying attention. But, uh, and I laughed at him for like, I still do. I'm going to laugh at you next time I see you. Um, <laughs> Because he didn't know what he was talking about, but he'd heard that it meant this. Anyway. Uh, stay away from folk theology. That's why, listen, that's why you get discipled in a one-on-one relationship. Because we're trying to beat, not beat, that's a horrible word. We're trying to help you <laughs> understand that some of your preconceived notions about God are not God. Some of them are really damaging. Some of you think that God is just this big brute up there ready to crush you the next time you mess up. That's not God. Some of you think that, that God doesn't care what you do. That's, that's not God. We, we want you to know the truth, and, and we want that truth to set you free. And for you to know that truth, you've got to interact with that truth. And so you've got to get discipled in a one-on-one relationship if, if that's what it's going to take for you to understand the truth. You've got to get involved in life groups if that's what it's going to do to supplement what's happening in here on a Sunday morning so that you can know the truth. I am alarmed at the number of Christians who post on Facebook half-truths about the God that they serve. It's because they're just, they're just making it up. They're doing their best. I'm not saying you know, that they're not trying. It's just not true. I had a lady, our, our kids were involved in a car accident some years ago down here at Kingsway and Clay. Now their their uh, cousin was in town, and he had just gotten his license, and he took his mom's Toyota 4Runner and crossed right in front of this truck. You know, the light was red. It's his fault. But uh, uh, flipped the thing, flipped the thing over. I mean, it was, it was a really bad accident. So they called me, um, and I zipped down here from my office and got there right after the thing had happened. And by God's grace, um, none of our kids, there was our three and, and, and their cousin, none of our kids had any serious injuries. The guy in the pickup truck, uh, you know, had, had you know, some, some more minor injuries, uh, you know, uh, but survived. And, and, and it's one of those situations you just look at and you're like, wow, God is good. God's grace. He just went, and everybody's, you know, relatively fine. But I was standing there and getting the kids into the car so I could take them home. And uh, they were all, you know, the, my nephew was talking to the police, uh, you know, about the accident and stuff like that. And I'm usher, ushering my kids who were, you know, gosh, young, middle school, elementary school at the time, and uh, into my car. And uh, uh, a lady comes up to me. She says, oh, Pastor Mark, I was the first one here. And I didn't recognize her. Happens all the time. Sorry. Hey, where are your name tags out there? That'll be great. (laughs) That's a great idea. Can you just start doing that? Everybody wearing them everywhere you go? But I said, oh, I'm so so glad you were here. I'm so glad that you you made it here. She said, yeah, I was on high alert today. I was like, what do you mean high alert today? So I went to the, you know, where I get my coffee and my bagel, and I didn't get the same bagel because they were out of them, but I got a different bagel this time. And so when my receipt came back, and she had the receipt in her pocket, she hauls it out, and she says, I saw that today was going to be a a unique day. And she showed me, she pointed to the the change due. She gave the guy a 10, and the the, the bill had come to $3.34. And so her change was... 
666. And I, no, listen. 666 is in the Bible. It's the number of the beast. It's in Revelation. It has a place uh, in our theology. Okay? But just because it shows up on your receipt doesn't mean that it's going to be an extra demonic or extra whatever day. It's just a number that's on your receipt. And so, and, you know, and she wanted to explain to me how this was all going to, you know, this was all God's, you know, the receipt was the beginning and everything came together. And, and I'm, you know, I got these kids who are traumatized in my car and I just want to be like, sister, listen, I want to talk to you about this, but please stop taking things from the Bible and making them what they're not. I said it way nicer than that, but for our time, can I just say it like that? Because that's folk theology. Be careful to rightly divide the word of truth so that you got it and you can live by it. And if I can just leave you with this one thought. If we do that, if we stand and defend the truth, then then our next mission is to speak the truth alone. I'm just gonna give you one more verse and and, and we'll go home. But, but, But here's what he says, following this. He says, the aim of this charge, the whole reason I'm telling you to stick around and defend the truth, the aim of this charge is so that love can reign in your church. And when you see love there, don't think just lots of, oh, everybody's happy, because that's not the kind of love that God's wanting us to have. Sometimes love makes people unhappy, because you've got to tell them the truth. He's not talking about warm fuzzies. He's talking about the truth big T residing in the church, so that the people in the church who are living according truth to truth, big T, can ex- uh, express the love of God as it's meant to be expressed to everybody uh, from a pure heart and from a good conscience and a sincere faith. Blessed are the pure in heart. We talked about that earlier this year. Blessed are the pure in heart. What's that mean? Pure means undivided, untainted, focused, clear. When we live by the truth, we live with clarity and focus, and and, and we're able to give things from a genuine, pure heart to people as God ascribes and God prescribes, and and we're able to provide for people uh, that that loving hug when they need it. We're able to provide for people that that speaking the truth in love when they need it. It's it's a pure heart. It's it's coming from a good place. It's coming from the right place. In a church where the, the truth is reigning, love occurs in the form of this pure heart. Love occurs in the form of his good conscience. You know what that means? It means that when truth reigns, you got nothing to feel bad about. In your own thinking about yourself and in your relationships with other people because you've been living in those relationships according to the truth. How many times have we ducked out on something that would be difficult because we're like, oh, we don't want to hurt their feelings or we don't want to, or, or, or we've been overly, you know, um, you know, uh, loving to someone, enabling someone to continue in a bad way because we've forsaken the truth for comfort. We don't want to be uncomfortable, so we'll just ignore the truth. Well, what does that do? Well, if we've chosen comfort over truth, then that registers in our conscience. We're like, I should have said this, I could have done that. I could have helped in this situation, but I chose to serve me instead. And so, living up, listen, can everybody understand how living apart from truth, big T, from, apart from God's plan for truth, if we're in Christ, it's gonna weigh on our conscience. 
And what Paul says, hey man, the whole charge, my whole reason for you wanting to get rid of all these little truths, these false truths, is so that we can live by the truth with pure hearts, focused on what God wants. And as we do that, we can live this guilt-free, conscience-cleared life with each other and with ourselves, knowing that we did what God called us to do. And then the final thing he says is, hey man, I want you to, to love yeah, from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Sincere is this word that comes from the, the pottery industry of the time. Uh, sin is the prefix in Greek for without, and sere is the word for wax. And back then, if you wanted to buy some pots, uh, you could go to the, to the primo rack and buy the most expensive pots, uh, or you could go to a rack that, as the pots had been fired up in the kiln, uh, there were some cracks in them. And they weren't going to hold whatever they were supposed to hold, especially liquids correctly. And so what they would do with those pots that were cracked is they would take wax and they would melt it down. They would fill up the cracks in hopes that the pot would hold whatever it was supposed to hold. But there was no guarantees. You bought at your own risk. The good pots, the ones that were whole, those were the sincere pots, the without wax pots. Sincere is the opposite of hypocrisy. It's the opposite of having cracks and holes in whatever it is that you are involved in. And, and so what, what Paul hopes is that as we hold to the truth, we'll, we'll have these pure hearts that are focused on the truth and bring the truth in love to everybody that we see. And as we hold to the truth, we'll have these consciences that are clear from us having failed the truth. And if we hold to the truth, then our faith, our faith will be sincere without cracks. It'll be strong. It will grow. Been a long time since you've grown in your faith? What's your attitude towards the truth? The two go together. If you hold to God and his truth, your faith grows. It's like a muscle. And the truth is, is your workout. You hold to the truth. You love with a sincere faith. That's all I have time for. There's more, though. Will you come back and we'll talk more about 1 Timothy? I would love to share it with you. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for a chance to open your word this morning and to discover uh, afresh just how relevant it is. This was written a couple thousand years ago almost, but it is so ripped from the headlines today. We are uh, under siege, the church and your truth, uh, for <laughs> hundreds of years now, but uh, well, since, since you proclaimed it, has, has been under siege from all kinds of uh, worldviews and ideas. Our kids are being um, subjected to all kinds of falsehoods in, in the places where you know they're living. The, the internet is rife with all kinds of wackadoo stuff. Um, uh, it is just so hard, God, to find this narrow path that leads to righteousness, this truth that is yours and yours alone, and stay with it. But our commitment as a church is to find it and to remain on it and to defend it. So God, Teach us your truth over the next few weeks in this series. Continue to teach us over our years together in finding and following you. And then use us to be your defenders and your uh, presenters and purveyors of this truth so that the world know who you are and be saved by your grace. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. God bless you.